Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of New Game of Flame. I'm joined here by Diego and I'm your host Andy. Hello retro gamers. Uh, today we're going to talk about another new game on an old platform and specifically um, a very old platform, the Vic 20. But before we get into that, I'd like to ask you, Diego, what have you been up to? Well, after our review of Misplaced, I got a bit interested into playing some neglected games on my Sega Genesis or Mega Drive. And specifically, I had these couple of titles that I have never really been able to play through. One was Disney's Aladdin, and the other is Shinobi Part 3. And being an old fan of the arcade game Shinobi, I really wanted to try what they have been doing on the Sega Genesis with it. What did you think? Uh, I think it's still a bit too early to have a complete opinion. I just went through the first three or four levels of both, but... uh, um, I pretty enjoyed Aladdin, to be honest. It's a very simple platform game, but uh, the graphic artwork is simply stunning. It's very much based on the movie characters of the 90s, and it just looks beautiful to play it. It's almost a little bit like watching a cartoon, even if it's, it's not a laser game or something like that, but... Uh, it, Otherwise, the gameplay is it's pretty basic, and I guess it's more geared toward the younger audiences. But it's still a pleasure to play so far. And Shinobi 3, mm, mixed feelings. It looks like there's quite a lot more movements compared to the original Shinobi, and that's a good thing, but it's also a bit confusing at first. And... Uh, on uh, the other hand, the enemies are kind of a bit of a letdown. At least in the first few levels, I didn't like their artwork and also I didn't like the the, um, the challenges, really. It kind of feels a bit repetitive. But let's say I it's not a final opinion. I still have to go through many more levels before having an idea. But I really love the original, so... I hope that this is also going to be a nice, nice addition. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing quite a few things, but before we move on to myself, I just was wondering, are you comparing the um, the arcade version to the to the Mega Drive version in Shinobi? Well, not sure how fair it is to make a comparison, really, because it's different games, many years in between, different authors and everything. Even the look of the main character is very different. But uh, since it's supposed to be the third title of the series, it's quite inevitable to, to compare it back to the first one. But there are uh, very key differences there. I, I would say the first and biggest difference is that in the original game, the basis is one hit, one life lost. So you, oh, yes. you should not get hit even once. Uh, but despite that, it's a very playable game. I spent, I don't know how many coins on that when I was a, a teenager. It was really one of my favorite at the arcades. Whereas the, the third episode, the one on the Mega Drive, it's based on energy level. So you can get hit many times before losing a life. And that is already a big difference in the way it plays. It's got more moves and tricks, things you can do. You can jump and then jump again, and it does a little bit of a somersault. Uh, You can, uh, for example, grab ropes. You can jump off walls, or you are kind of climbing walls by jumping back and forth to opposite walls, for example, in some areas. It's supposed to be more more uh, deep in gameplay. But then, of course, when you have an absolute classic to compare to, well, the expectations are quite high, and uh, I certainly wouldn't replace the original with this one, <laughs> not as far as I saw it. I've never played the Shinobi or the Mega Drive. 
Oh, uh, well, I played Aladdin, but not Shinobi. So I was stuck to the arcade versions, uh, which I I still find it's um, really good, but I've never tested the, the Mega Drive, so it would be interesting for me to have a look at that one day. Um, whilst Aladdin, yeah, I do agree, it's one of the best games from animations and movement and, and you know, scrolling. It's very, it's very well made graphically, but as you said, yeah, maybe catering for younger audiences, I guess. Yeah, I, I must say that I'm I'm usually very fond of games with comic characters on um, on any platform really. For some reason, even though I'm not a, a huge comic fan myself, but computer games based on comic characters, Disney or not, it's it's always they always interest me for some reason. Do you remember you used to play a game called Dynamite Ducks on the Amiga? Does that come from a oh, comic yeah. as well? Yeah. I have no idea what kind of comics, who was the publisher, or was it uh, a cartoon perhaps, or a magazine? I don't know. But yeah, I remember the game. I remember finishing the game a long time ago. I remember even older games. Did you used to have... Uh, Donald Duck's Playground on Commodore 64? No. Um, I've always never been into those Disney Disney games uh, or, let's say, cartoon-based games. The only ones I think I really enjoyed was were the laser games, so Dragon Slayer, and I was really eager to see the ports of that. Um, I remember playing with you the Commodore 64 port of that. That was pretty disappointing compared to the laser game. But otherwise, I no. I think it, it's not a bad game it's still kind of playable but it has very little to do with the original the gameplay is completely different from that i remember the port for the amiga lots and lots of floppy disks for a few levels and uh, the graphic details and resolution was not the one of the laser games of course but the gameplay was exactly the same and that was the best effort that I remember back in the days to port laser games on home computers. But uh, generally speaking, I I would say they were essentially non-portable. I think I own um, Mickey's Castle of Illusion on the Mega Drive, which apparently is a very, very good game. So I've played a little bit of that. I don't know if you've ever tested that. I probably recommend that. It's one of the, one of the I don't know, sacred games for the Mega Drive. Um, so maybe it's a good good idea if you want to step in the Mega Drive uh, past. Sure, we'll do. Um, me, what have I been doing? Uh, unless you want to go on, if there's anything else you want to say? No, no, I want to hear from you. Okay, so I've been looking at some... So you, you know how the, the, the genres have evolved with time. So I did find a game that I... I I think I'm really interested in, which is called Astebros, and it's uh, from a French developer called Neofid Technology, yeah, and it's on Kickstarter right now. It looks amazing, and the way it plays looks amazing as well. And it's a it's a basically a roguelite. I don't know if you've ever played played a roguelite. Uh, have you have any idea what it is? No. Well, from my understanding, or so I've played a bit of Dead Cells in the past, and I think it's a roguelite. Um. I think the roguelite is, is, is bringing the the old concept of game. So, so let's say a platformer where you have to kill, you know, um, enemies and get to the end of the level. It could be anything, really. I think. But the idea is that then when you when you die, you don't rest- so you restart from the beginning, maybe. But you have some things unlocked that you can bring through the gameplays that you do. And you keep going and dying and getting better and dying and getting better and dying and getting better and dying until eventually you, you reach the end. That's my understanding of a roguelike. But um, I've played Dead Cells, which is, I think, something along those lines. I finished that game, in fact. but <clears throat> And it's really, really good. I, 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 um, I really recommend it. But um, I think something made on the Mega Drive, so uh, before I continue... Dead Cells is on PC and Steam and all modern platforms, even if it's got a bit of pixel graphics in it. So something on the Mega Drive that looks like that, but is uh, similar to to a roguelike, is going to be really fun, I think. And 
by the screenshots the, the and the and the gameplay it seems like they it's quite innovative and hopefully after the kickstarter is done we can also buy it because i'm not a backer i've never backed anything on kickstarter to be honest and after that i stumbled upon bullfighter neon which is very cool very cool how it looks so if you've ever played any Neo Geo games, um, especially sports games like Windjammers, Windjammers is now still very famous, popular. It's been remade as well in a modern version, but it was a Neo Geo classic in the arcade. And it's about two players on a field and you have to score goals, but with a Frisbee. And it's a static screen. It's one screen and you've got two two big goals and there's three sections of the goal. And where, where the Frisbee lands, you get a score. Basically, if you if it lands top bottom, I think you get one or two points. And if it lands in the middle, you get three. But it, graphically, this Bullfighter Neon reminds me of that. Unfortunately, this is not um, it's not a retro game. So it's, I don't think it's getting a release on any Neo Geo or stuff like that. But the graphics, my God, it does look like a Neo Geo game. And, and, and it's about like a, a Toreador, and he has to fight different bulls. One shoots ball a bit like a shooter. The other one shoots missiles. It's really, really crazy. I think no one's ever done a game like this. And it looks fantastic. So I might check this out on the side. And then as a <clears throat> as a last thing, I was looking to get myself um, a Neo Geo Pocket. And then I was thinking, well, is there any modern games on that that we can talk about? And apparently there is... Um, at least one that I found, which is called Pocket Rumble. So I don't know if you're a fan of fighting games. I quite like fighting games. But this is, it is a fighting game and it's on the handheld and it's, um, it looks really, really amazing and it seems to play really well. So I might get myself a Neo Geo Pocket uh, just to play this game. The animations are really good. They have like a super meter, so you can um, build up the power level and then you can do special attacks. It, and it, obviously pixel graphics, uh, we love the pixel graphics, well, I do at least, and it's just amazing. I, I love it that people keep doing these sort of things. And also I see that um, a lot of new games that come out on new platforms such as Steam <clears throat> are very retro inspired. So I, I've played also Kingdom New Lands. I don't know if you've ever played it, but it's a um, tower defense kind of game. And it develops horizontally. So basically you have to defend your your castle or area and try to escape, but it's all horizontal. So your castle is in on your account, encampment in the beginning is in the middle and you get attacked by wave of enemies from the right and from the left. And you have to survive that. Uh, but and you have like a little economy going on as well inside your camp so you can collect money you can build um, more structures you recruit builders and you have to solidify and make and upgrade your castle while at the same time trying to get a boat um, constructed by by your people and then escape that land before you get run over and the concept is very interesting it looks amazing um I finished it and, it and it's really good. So I, I suggest if you, it, it doesn't cost much at all. It's about one pound, two pounds. I think I bought it and it was, it was very good fun. And then yesterday, I, <laughs> last night, I was uh, I had a bit of time and I thought, oh, what am I going to do tonight? I'm going to watch Rambo. <laughs> so it's because I got myself a, a new telly for Christmas and I wanted to see something in 4K. So I, I got myself Rambo in 4K HDR because it's a very, very old movie. I think 1982, the first. Um, and it was uh, quite funny to see it. In fact, very good quality and all. But how much, how different now action movies are and how much more sophisticated nowadays they are. So one of the things I noticed, for example, is that combat, you know, nowadays uh, they're all awesome. They kung fu and this and kung fu that. Just impossible, super fighters. And Rambo is just down to earth. So you can see there's a first scene where he escapes from the office and it's just really normal combat, you know, just a couple of punches there, just escapes. It just looks normal. It doesn't look superhero when he goes out with a big gun. He runs around like a normal fella. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is very different from nowadays. Um, so that was interesting. And, and then made me want to buy myself a Rambo knife, <laughs> um, which I, I haven't bought, but... 
uh, you know, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Uh, they're not a hunter or, you know, don't go out in, in the woods or anything, but I, it looks really cool. And then I was wondering, I wonder how many games, retro games, are inspired by Rambo. Then I thought, oh, look, there's Ikari Warriors, there's Commando, probably, well, probably inspired by Commando, but... And then there's actually the Rambo games for the Spectrum, C64, Rambo 2, or Rambo for the NES. Rambo 3, uh, I think that was from 1988 for the CPC and Specky, it was supported everywhere. Uh, I think the best one then was um, the Seagulls one uh, on the Master System, I think. Um, it looked really cool. Or oh, the Mega, there's a Mega Drive version, if you're into Mega Drive version, 1989. It looks a bit like Cabal. I think you forgot the most famous one. Which one? The Commodore 64 Rambo 2 First Blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's from Ocean 1985. So Spectrum C64 and CPC. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was ported to many, many home computers. But I think that the 64 version, you didn't mention it, but it, it was very, very common. I think most of my friends had a copy of it. It was very, very popular. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I've been up to. It was nice to dip in the old movies again and see how, how different they are and how much more down-to-earth somehow they are rather than over-the-top. All right. Uh, so uh, maybe we should get into today's topic, which sure. is uh, Cheesy Trials. If you want to explain a bit about the, the game, that would be great. All right. So, Cheesy Trials, it's essentially a classic platformer for the Commodore VIC-20 by Andy Hewitt, also known as Hugo. And this game is freely available for download, if you want, from either his own website, hugo.uk, or from each.io. Or if you prefer, you can also order a tape version of it for I think about seven pounds so this is a game based on the idea that you control a mouse that has to catch chunks of cheese as they appear on the screen there's obviously platforms and ladders which also appear gradually on the screen and sometimes they disappear or change and there's no enemies that are chasing you but you have a very short timer of just five seconds between catching the cheese and the next. So this makes for a very high-paced game. It requires very good dexterity with your favorite joystick, but also some quick thinking. And in many cases, you're probably also going to have to keep trying the levels until you get the right course of actions because the time is really, really short. The game is organized into three different uh, areas where you can start. So that's good. If you get stuck at a certain level, you can try the other two areas. And these areas are called test of intelligence, test of dexterity, and test of luck. They are not completely different, but each of these series of levels focus uh, presumably on certain skills rather than others. So, for example, in the test of intelligence levels, uh, the idea is that most of the times you see a level, you think you know how to do it, but soon you realize you don't. Based on the previous levels, there's probably something different here at every new level that makes you think very fast or just accept you're going to fail and try again, essentially. But um, the game, let's say, has a very good level of challenge. It's very challenging. But it never really makes you feel dumb for not getting how to solve a level. It rather makes you fail for world, so to speak. It makes you feel good when you finally get how to do a level. It won't take that long. But usually a failure or two is, is at least necessary. So, for example, that it often happens there's a level with a cheese that doesn't look you could even reach it easily. You try jumping and your jumps are either too short or too long. You can't 
you can drop straight on top of it from the upper platform because maybe there's a bomb in the middle of, of your fall. But then you realize that perhaps if you go on the middle of a ladder and throw yourself down from it, that makes you make a shorter jump, and that's just perfect for the case. There are many of these gotcha moments that makes especially the test of intelligence level feel very rewarding. Then there's a second area called text of dexterity, where you have springs and critters, although these are static, they won't chase you. But with all these springs, this makes jumping a lot more challenging, a lot more complicated. It's very difficult to learn where you're going to land on after hitting a spring. And sometimes you hit a spring and you are thrown onto another spring that immediately uh, takes you somewhere else. And you can't change your direction mid-flight, mid-jump but you can change your direction every time you hit a spring. So all of these build up from uh, quite a good level of challenge that's really rewarding when you learn how to master your movements. And the third series is called Test of Luck. And I think that the things appear in a little bit more random way, perhaps, so that this is probably the series of level that requires the most number of retries and perhaps that's a little less rewarding, at least for my taste, compared to the previous two, because it is almost impossible to understand at first attempt what is exactly the course of action. So overall, it's definitely a platformer with a thinking attitude. I wouldn't call it exactly a puzzle. That's not, not as complicated as the games that I would qualify as puzzles, to be honest, but you may call them, you may at least recognize this aspect in the game. And uh, what else? Well, it's a game without a limited number of lives, so you can keep trying. And I think that it's very easy to get hooked on this game because of the fast pace and because it always gives you the feeling that you are that you almost made it very nearly almost made it so you can't just quit a level you have to finish it i can imagine that some some gamers might get a level of frustration after retrying a level and not getting it some of the later levels are particularly devious because you might have multiple cheese on the same screen and depending on which cheese you pick next, the screen changes in a certain way. But uh, some of these cheeses actually make the level impossible to finish. So then you really have to learn the order. And, uh, well, there is a chance to rage quit if you just don't get the order and you miss something, you keep trying and not getting anywhere. But I would say that this happens only on a very few levels overall. So that's the game in a nutshell. Maybe Andy would like to say something about the author of the game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Before we go on, let's let's give a little bit more um, a little bit more insight in the in Andy Hewitt. So we got in touch with him. He was very kind. He answered lots of lots of our questions in very much detail. Obviously, being a developer. He went into a lot of technicalities that we are unable to replicate on the show. It's, it's very difficult for me, oh, but mainly because I don't understand them. Um, and so not being a developer myself, I don't, I don't really get to all the technicalities that he wrote, but he was very, very kind. He's been a developer since the 80s, and his first game that he made was Nibbler. So you can find that, as uh, Diego uh, said initially, in um, on his website, uh, hugo.uk. So that's H E wco.uk and you can find all his games there and i think he's developed mainly for the vic 20 which was his first computer and he had plans i think to make games for the commodore 64 but then ended up sticking with the vic 20 and believe it or not with this game 
he did it for a competition, the C64 Winter Games Development Competition of 2020, and he won it, <laughs> which is, uh, well, you know, well-deserved. I mean, um, we'll talk about, you know, uh, about how it works in a bit more detail in a minute. And he's also been doing modern games. Um, so he's been like a, a game developer for, for ages. And you can find his newer games on Windows, Windows games, on his website, ovine.net, which is O-V-I-N-E.net. And inside there, there is Echo, which is a mouse, apparently. And it's um, and this mouse has inspired Cheesy Trials, which is, I think, uh, quite quite entertaining. I like, like this idea that he had an inspiration from an old game that he made. And the whole game took six weeks um, to get done. So he had a quite a uh, tight deadline. A lot of technical limitations because as, as we know, you know, the, the VIC-20 um, <laughs> is a 20k kilobyte machine. So he has very little memory. So in order, you know, to accomplish what he's done here in that small amount of memory, I think it, it's uh, really remarkable. I think um, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, he's a very nice person, so you can get in touch with him, uh, I think, uh, on Facebook and, and uh, on on his website if you have any of the questions. But he's been very nice to us as well. And I think I think we should now talk a bit more in, to, in depth about, you know, the game and how did we feel about the game? You know, what did we get out of it? I don't know if you want to start yourself. I know you've you talked about the technical, technical size of it, but not technical. Let's say the more objective. You know what what is the game? Um, how did you, how did you feel about it? I know you you've probably finished it. I think I did not. I finished it. It's not that long. There are thirty six levels, twelve per section, and. Um, well, I must say that I was instantly hooked in a way that rarely happens for me for new games, especially for free free games, these games available for free. And um, I was hooked by the challenges because it is challenging. The first thing I thought is this is not a kid's game. This is not a game made for youngsters. Even if it is simple, and I'm sure my 12-year-old 12, 12 son will do better than me anyway. He's an expert already on any type of games and starting also to love retro games. But the, it is challenging in a very rewarding way. I also think that this game has good replayability overall because uh, you are hardly going to remember how to solve the levels especially when you have to select the cheese in right order. Once you finish a level, probably you'll, you'll just focus on the next. So I think just in a few days, you don't remember how, how you did it. So it, it is very easy to go back a week afterward and being able to replay the whole game start to finish. I'm definitely going to see myself playing this again. And you mentioned that this game was made in only six weeks. But actually, it does not look rushed or half-finished. Not at all. To me, it looks like a very, very solid game. So what, what did you think about it? As yourself, I, I found it... So I want to say in advance, I am not a puzzle lover at all. So I do not uh, like puzzle games much just for the sake of puzzles. So I know just as a, a quick comparison, yeah. In Cheesy Trials, you have these different tests. So tests of dexterity, intelligence, and luck. Each one of these has like a hub. So you enter it and there's like a, one little door and you have to enter that door to finish the first puzzle. When you finish the first puzzle, you can exit. So you get the exit door from the puzzle and you exit back into the hub. The hub then shows you another door and then you go through this next door and you do the next puzzle. And I think that mechanic is what is a bit missing in Misplace that we, that we reviewed previously. So what does that mean for me? <clears throat> So in this hub where there's all the little doors to access the different puzzle for that 
specific test. There is also a key right usually at the top that you have to reach it and in order to reach it you have to go through the puzzles and you know as another door opens when you finish one puzzle another door opens there are ladders that goes up to a different door and the, all this uh, intricate path then of doors and puzzles will take you to the key so you have like an incentive to to reach something so you're you actually know your goal is there and, and there's only so much space on the screen that you can fill up with doors. So you, even if you don't know how many the levels there are, you can kind of make out, you know, there's not going to be that many for this specific test. So that keeps you going as well. And it's a it's an incentive. Let's say on, me, on misplaced, the it was a bit different. You didn't know how many puzzles there were. It was just one after the other. And you didn't know where you were going to end and what was the purpose. Here, it seems that you there is a purpose to get out of the hub. So that for me was already something that made me want to continue. Uh, so the levels um, are increasingly difficult in each of the tests. So you got tests of intelligence, the first one. You get the, it's an introduction, so they, they kind of go, um, they, they ramp up in levels slowly. But it won't be too late before you actually start thinking, oh, this is hard, this is hard. And as you said, um, it takes a lot of attempts in order to get to the end of that or a specific level. But anyways, just before we get into that again, the increasingly difficult levels then have breather levels in between. And I think the author wanted to give um, people a bit of a, a respite, let's say, from the, 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 the very, very fast-paced nature of it. So if, you, if you've just got through a very difficult level, he would probably put... A simpler level next so that would be simple and this mechanic also helps me want to continue because i think oh this is taking me a long time i hope they're not all like this then the next one is a bit oh okay this one was quite easy then you know oh, i feel i feel quite good about myself and then i want to continue that and so i continue and this mechanic of the hub so that when you have to reach that key the mechanic of it being paced uh, the levels are let's say structured properly for me uh, in a perfect way and also when you lose it's very very quick to restart you don't have to wait an animation or something it just restarts you start immediately you press the button and you're in again all this makes me want to play it really quickly one one after the other if i die it doesn't matter press the button i'm in again i've got five seconds again it all goes really quickly and so this, as you said, makes you hooked instantly, even if you're not a puzzle lover. And before I, there's more stuff I'd like to say, uh, but for me, this is the main, the main thing is how playable it is and how fair it is. But I want to talk about the fairness as well in, in a minute. But do you have any, so if you say, you know, this is not, um, this is a puzzler, it's a bit of a different one. It's just not, you don't have all the time in the world so you have to solve a puzzle in five seconds or part of the puzzle in five seconds. Then you have five seconds to solve another part of the puzzle and so on until you get out. Um, and I'm thinking, is this then, have, does this have the same mechanics of something like, you know, um, Candy Crush or, you know, uh, Tetris, if you want. So you've got a limited amount of time to fit a piece into, this is Tetris, into a gap. And you have to find the best way to do it to get rid of the most lines. Yeah. So, as a concept, this could be the same thing. What do you say? Mm, yeah, yeah, but I find that uh, the the platform or the um, strict joystick ability side of the game is preponderant here. So, in to me, it takes over the the puzzle aspects. So. That's why I would call it rather a classic platformer, but with an intelligent level design so that you have to think through, figure out. I wouldn't qualify this as a true puzzle game, to be honest. That's even, even though many puzzle games have a time limit, but um, puzzles typically have a structure that repeats itself over and over 
an idea and uh, the levels are just bigger versions of the previous. That's the way I see it. And this is, uh, it's different because there is quite a lot of variety, but still the, the main thing you need to be good at is with the joystick, in my opinion. You need to be very good at controlling the mouse. And by, by the way, I tried playing this with my favorite Commodore era joystick, which is the Competition Pro. That's what I used back then. Uh, even though I probably should have tried it also with the Albatross. But um, at some point, I, I switched to the keyboard, really, because uh, I thought that for uh, more precise jumping, the keyboard was more reliable for me. Don't know what you used to play this, but um, I started with the Competition Pro, and then at some point, I probably in the text, test of dexterity levels, I decided, okay, no, now it's time to switch to keyboard. Less fancy, but I can make sure I jump more carefully. And this is not a, a game that I would say require pixel-perfect jumps. It gives you some slack, a small one, but it gives you that. And usually I don't like pixel-perfect jumping-based games. So this is, this is good that it's not requiring something like that. But where it, when it, where it is really strict is with the timing. You really have a short time to get to the next cheese. And I think Andy Hewitt told us that he originally designed the game with a longer timer and then decided to decrease it to five seconds exactly to increase the pace of the game, to make it more hectic. And after he settled on the five seconds, this eventually became the key point for himself to design the levels themselves and helped him to design the level because then the game had a specific rhythm, five seconds each cheese. But it is, it is very strict. You have, to, you have to run to get to the next so for these reasons, I would say this is so primary in the game that, in my opinion, it really takes over the thinking or puzzle aspects. There certainly is uh, an element of, uh, of puzzle to it. But yes, it is so fast paced that you have to have really good reflexes and have a really quick thinking uh, ability. Because I think in the beginning, I think all the cheeses are out or I think at the first level, I think it is where you jump up on a platform to fetch a cheese, then a platform at the bottom goes further down. So then you learn that you have to jump over it to, and because there's another cheese on, on the left hand side of it. And um, I think afterwards it's just um, a cheese appears. And I remember the cheese appears as soon as you fetch the other one, then you've got five seconds to go and fetch that. And as you said, there are some really, some really strange levels. Uh, well, I, unlike yourself, I haven't finished it all. I finished all the um, test of intelligence. Ha ha. I'm very intelligent, but not, de not dexterous or, or lucky, but I did find it was fair game in, in some ways. So it's very difficult to get stuck and do something like 20 times. So. So, for example, to fetch the first cheese, it'll take you two, three attempts to understand how you do it. And then you actually, you know, if you don't get the jump wrong or, or whatever it takes, you, you won't get it wrong. Then you need to see where the next one is, find out the best route. In fact, it's actually being like a mouse in a maze. You know, uh, you actually are a mouse. It is a test for a mouse because you need to find out oh, what's the best way to get there. You have five seconds, you fail and you start again. And then you start from the beginning but you already know the first one. So you do the first one and then you go to the second cheese and then oh, the third one appears. What's the best way to get there? Oh, time run out or oh, do it all again. So test again through it. And so in that respect, it will never fail you because it's fair and you, you kind of always progress. It's very difficult not to progress. 
So this brings me a bit on, I think, level 12, I think it was, or the last one of, of Test of Intelligence, where it was a bit mad because, as you said, depending in what order you get the cheese, different things happen. Now, again, I feel that that's a little bit unfair, but it is just another test for a mouse. So, for example, if you, if you pick a piece of cheese up, a wall forms, which is a bit odd. But if you pick another another piece of cheese before that, that's different. Another thing happens. So it, it's just a bit of a trial and error until you get it, really. But again, because you go, you progress always, and you always get a step further, 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 further to the goal, you kind of don't mind it being as it is, and you just keep on playing. And then you said that jumping <coughs> is not pixel perfect. And I think jumping and time both are very, very, very strict. Um, I think there's a bit of tolerance on time and there is a little bit of tolerance on the jumping. But I find, found myself lots of times failing the jumps because I thought they were, they were, they were correct and but they're not oh, they're slightly too early usually and then i fall down and there's another interesting mechanic to this game is that if you fall down you don't on a, on a platform you don't usually die depending on how high it is you get dazed so basically you fall down and, and your head gets spins and you have to wait so that detracts a bit from the, the the time that you've got available which is quite interesting i think but there are ways to avoid falling from those heights and and if you can do that, then the time, you know, you, you still got the time. And I think that's a very, very good mechanic as well. And there is tolerance, as I said. So sometimes I've used to, I fell down and I got the dizziness thing, uh, but I was able to, to still get the cheese. So there is some, some, a little bit of tolerance, but very, very little. So you have to really be precise and know what you're doing and where you're going. And the jump uh, is the same. So I, I, I found myself again jumping and, oh, that's not right. I have to just hold it a tiny fraction of a second longer. Otherwise, it, he won't reach the next platform. And apparently, there's also different ways to, to finish the level, which is interesting. So level testing on this game has been done, I think, by his son. And, he, and, uh, and his son also helped him create the levels, if I recall correctly. I think... Overall, it is it is a very, very strict game, but very well planned and fair. So it will it would be very difficult for you not to get hooked on it. And again, I am not a puzzler. I don't like puzzles. And maybe that's the reason because it's not probably a puzzler. It's a bit of a way in between of a puzzler and a platform, I guess. And the fast pace, it really does hook you in. And yes, I think um, it is a little brilliant game. It's made on the VIC-20, so... It's a platform no, not many people know, to be honest, but it would be good for people to test this game as it, it actually embodies the, the fact that a game doesn't have to look like, you know, with dazzling graphics and have a, an amazing sound, which, which this one doesn't have at all, unfortunately, but we can talk about that in a minute. But it is a good game nonetheless. So do you have any opinions on any, you know, but we can talk about a little bit about the graphics. There's not a lot to say because about the Vic 20, but what, what did you think? Yes, graphic and sound especially is minimal, but I think it met my expectations overall for a Vic 20 game in a positive way. I think the graphics are, I have a very good opinion on them because they capture the essentials. So the mouse, your character looks just great. And uh, the scenery isn't particularly brilliant, but it has small details like the holes in the cheese or the leathers with slanted planks. And uh, when the mouse itself is actually drawn using two sprites, because one for the body and the other for the tail. That's kind of brilliant, in my opinion, because it it makes overall for a larger character on the screen. Otherwise, the game is monochrome, one single color, even though the foreground color and the background color as well seem to loop. I'm not sure if 
there's some randomness in that or if it is a specific uh, series of colors that repeats itself. I haven't really paid that much attention. But monochrome, of course, isn't the best, but still the colors chosen are very weak, in my opinion. So it has definitely all the appearance you might expect from a proper V20 game. That's maybe not that much, but it's not bad either. And I, th- I also noticed, did you notice those sprites at the bottom of the screen? Oh, yes, yes. I'm I a didn't bit know ashamed, what bit ashamed to say that I didn't get them first. <laughs> took me a while to get what they were. First, I thought that they looked like a angry mushroom chasing a shark with two fins, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at some point, I got it that it's a cat. It's a cat of which you only see the tip of the tail and the ears, and it's running around at the bottom of the screen waiting for you, the mouse, to fall off into his fangs, fanged mouth. But it's it's a very nice touch, I think, once I got it. But I think uh, that, um, technically speaking, we got some bits of information from Andy, the author, that I thought was really interesting. He he explained that he used some turtle graphic to draw the platforms and in a way so that when new elements appear on the screen, they don't appear all of a sudden at once, but are drawn in sequence, block by block, quite quickly, but still it looks like they are forming on the screen. And he even, I think, used two different two different cursors so that he could draw two platforms or two parts of the scenery simultaneously. And that's a very nice touch. It's like animating the appearance of new elements in the level. And I think it was a pretty brilliant in a sense even if it was not needed. We also got quite a a bit of interesting information on the techniques and the tools he has used to make this game, right? So this game was made in Turbo Rascal, which is essentially a tool or a suite based on Turbo Pascal, developed by Nicolas Grönboom. So it's a sort of compiler assembler for Turbo Pascal code, but it also comes with many editors, including, for example, uh, an image or sprite editor and a music tracker. And uh, it works to develop games for the Commodore VIC-20, the Commodore 64, the Amiga, Atari ST, so it's pretty powerful and uh, hasn't been around for a very long time. I think three, four years or something like that. And uh, Andy Hewitt even participated in the development of some parts of this Turbo Rascal platform, particularly for uh, VIC-20 support. So um, I think, if I understood right, he even made the source code of cheesy trials available. So that's great because uh, as usual with these games, I always hope, I always wish they were longer than they really are, that there were more levels. So who knows, with the source code, maybe someone can add more levels to the game. And Andy has hinted about future updates possible. And as a matter of fact, I just figured out a few days ago that he has added a nice loading screen that wasn't there in the version that I have played. So it's a, it's, it's a game that might even has a future ahead. <laughs> it's not finished. It That's can incredible. Yeah. Uh, if I, I think he also said he was going to convert it. Probably he's gonna, there's going to be other versions of it, isn't there? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, did he mention perhaps that he wanted to make a Commodore 64 version of it? 
Yeah, and a Spectrum and a CPC probably. Okay, okay, that that's nice to know. I think that um, the only drawback perhaps of this game is that it technically requires a RAM expansion of your VIC-20, a 24 kilobyte expansion. And uh, I wondered what was the real reason for that first, because as I looked at the game, I couldn't say immediately why doesn't this game run on the normal unexpanded VIC-20. But uh, then Andy explained that one reason is the title screen and the status screen, that even though they are compressed, they took quite a chunk of RAM memory. And uh, that there are fonts in the games and the code itself is not really small. But um, this could be a problem because if you have an original Commodore VIC-20, then you must have a RAM expansion. And uh, I don't have one. So I had to play this game with an emulator, the usual WinVice. So I, I think it's not that difficult to find RAM expansions for the VIC-20. But there's a catch that uh, you can't be always completely sure that a RAM expansion for VIC-20, even if it's bigger than the requirement, it will make every game work properly. Because as little I know about the hardware of the VIC-20, I, I remember that, first of all, back in the day, there weren't even... 24 kilobyte expansions. I checked recently, but I knew that Commodore business machines only made 8K and 16K expansions. Then there were third party expansions, like even up to 64K. But um, I don't think any commercial game was ever made back in the 80s requiring more than 16K for the VIC 20. And uh, I think nowadays there are modern 24K expansions. But if you, if you have an old third-party 32K or 64K expansion, it might not even work. I think that whenever you use an expansion bigger than 16K, it kind of changed the internal memory map. So a game that was certified to work in 16K with a 16K Commodore expansion might not work with the bigger ones if there's some problem in the memory mapping. Yeah, obviously, if you play this with an emulator, you have absolutely no problem. So that's why I had to play this game. But uh, I, I thought that it was interesting <laughs> to know that this game effectively needed something more, at least in terms of RAM, to, to get it done. And Andy was pretty confident that he could have made it use 16K. So that would have worked also with the official Commodore expansions of the 80s. But he, he hasn't gotten around doing it. And when he did this game, obviously, he had a time constraint for the competition. So it it wasn't definitely one of his priorities to to squeeze everything in a certain amount of memory. I would like to add some little bits here before we go too far deep into into technical aspects. Um, <clears throat> so just to go back to a minute to the graphics, yeah. So this this machine is I don't know thirty years old. I don't know. Probably yeah, about probably a little bit more than that as well. I think. Um, <clears throat> and. It, the graphics are what they are, but I, I need to spend like one fraction, a bit of time just to talk of how beautifully animated that little mouse is. I really, really loved it. I think there's two frames of animation or three. I don't know how many he's done. I, I think he did, he did say, but I forgot. And how he made it, he did tweak it quite a bit. And it, it, it seems really fluid. 
I mean, it, it's pixel graphics, yeah. So it's very, very simple, very simple graphics. And even the cat animation with that you said looked like a mushroom looked like the mushroom to me as well. And it's interesting to know it's a cat <laughs> with their ears. And that looked uh, really fluid as well. And so the little animations that are there are, I wouldn't say spectacular, but for the Vic 20, probably yes, they were, they were spectacular. I really like the the screen that he's drawn for. So you you can also do you know go go and choose beforehand which test you want to do. There's a screen for that, and I think you have to press one of the F keys, F one, F two, F three for the different tests. That's really well well drawn, I think. Again, for for a machine of that age, as you said, I think previously, if you know, basically the levels when you even if you die on a level and you restart it it restarts automatically basically you just press it to go back into the door and it restarts immediately it changes the background color so every time it will have a different background color when you enter it which is, it makes for like a bit of a variation which i, I quite enjoyed it leaves me wondering if the vic 20 was on the same level of graphics as the atari 2600 I don't know. For me, it seems more precise. It seems like it's got more pixels, but I don't know the technical specs of both machines. What do you think? That's a good question, Andy. I think that the screen resolution is very much comparable between the two. Both of them are under 200 times 200 pixels in the screen. But uh, my personal opinion is that I would easily take the VIC-20 over the Atari 2600 when it comes to graphics. Obviously, that depends a bit on the games. And it's more a matter of, uh, of style than, than technicalities here, in my opinion, because the, the Atari definitely has more colors. I think it had oh, yes. 128 colors. Vic 20, no, that's 16 colors, is that? So, strictly speaking, I think the Atari would win because of the colors and it would be a draw in terms of resolution. But for some reason, I think perhaps it was a matter of the programmers that just got better result for my taste on the Vic 20 than the Atari. I think there's something to be said as well uh, in relation to the fact that the the VIC-20 was a computer, you know, and an Atari is also... I just thought, of course, there's not going to be as much homebrew on the Atari as in on the, on the VIC-20 or, or the actual computers that had a keyboard because when you switched those on, they were ready to be programmed while the Atari wasn't. So probably also that was a factor in determining maybe how how much variation, how much how well they could use, how many people could access that kind of software facility to be able to program or develop in on the Atari 2600. So you had probably had to have a dev kit or something particular, I don't know. But the Big 20, you had everything you needed just there. Well, uh, I think uh, that pretty much sums it all up for us today. Uh, I think we said everything we wanted to say, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, you got me. My mind was a little bit in, in the cloud. Can you say that in English? I don't know. Be up in the clouds, yeah, probably. The, in the sense that when you started talking about Atari Homebrew, something like just came into my mind that I actually think there are a pretty good number of Homebrew games for for the old Atari VCS or 2600. So you just sparked an idea in my mind that we should probably investigate that. <laughs> because I think there are, I think I've seen them. So the next thing I'm gonna do today is investigate this, probably at atariage.com or something like that, I think that there can be some very nice find. Awesome. Uh, well, well, let's look into the Atari. And yeah, I think we should wrap it up now. And um, I think we said everything we had to say about this uh, brilliant little game. Um, 
from Andy Hewitt. I think also if you enjoy this, if you happen to try it and enjoy it, please check out his other games, uh, Nibbler, which was the first game, Pump Kid, Escape 2020, or Mars Landing, and you can find them all on his website, hugco.uk. Don't forget to drop us a line on Discord or an email at game at newgameoldflame.com. Uh, you can reach the Discord channel by going on our website, which is www.newgameoldflame.com. Uh, I think that's all. I hope to see you all in the next episode. And for now, keep safe and goodbye. Bye. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>